maybe there's a button. Bam, we're live. Maybe there's a button I can push that makes it so. Um, let me see what this one does. Ah, how's that? Yeah, hey, there we go. Look, <laughs> you can see my nose hairs. You can't see know, my right? nose hairs. I know. I'm uh I'm only five five Moses. I've spent a lifetime at uh, looking at people's nose hairs. I've become and I'm quite. I, I accept them now with uh with you know the the first time I see them I, I was a little uh, shocked and I'm like you know what that's going to be my perspective. I'm going to become a connoisseur of nose hairs because I'm going to spend my life looking at people's noses. And what have you discovered about uh, my nose hairs from that? I haven't. <laughs> I, I'd, have to be, I'd have to be standing. How tall are you? I am six one. Oh, I'd be staring all up in that shit. I'm five five. I'm uh I'm having a guest on the show um, next week. I'm Armenian, and like okay. my whole life, I've just thought that Armenians were short. And then I went to Armenia, and I realized, no, nah, it's just me. But I'm having this Armenian guy on the uh, podcast next week, and he's six five. Oh, 12 inches taller than me. That is very, very large. I uh, did this program with the uh, NFL Players Association for retired players. And a lot of those guys, like, you don't really appreciate how big they are until you're around all of them at the same time. And, like, even small players are, like, 6'4", 240. So, like, trying to treat someone's neck when it's, like, this big, it's like they're just large humans. (laughs) So I feel you on that. Yeah, is it like that? So, so um, Moses, you're you're a chiropractor. Yep. And, and what is a chiropractor? Uh, so that is so my role as a chiropractor is I really focus on just getting people to use their bodies better. Um, traditionally, it started with uh, this idea that bones being out of place, pinched on nerves, and every problem in the body was associated with that. Uh, fortunately, most chiropractors have. Uh, extended beyond that mindset but for the most part uh, these days chiropractors are musculoskeletal experts that are focusing on getting the body to do better movement-based things and muscular skeletal experts i would hope so (laughs) and that's regardless if the body's in movement or sedentary or just the body, just all the, the trials and tribulations that the, the human body goes through. In well, life. yeah. And there's going to be different expert or different specialties within the profession. So there's people who really focus just on accident and injuries. You got into a car accident, your neck and your low back is blown a disc and they just really focus on getting you out of pain there. Uh, some people like myself focus more on trying to get people who are already pretty healthy to the next level. And there's really everything in between. Okay. Yeah, you um I had never seen uh oh am I gonna screw this up? I had never seen the ten there's there's something that uh messes up then I'll uh you'll help me out. I'd never seen the tensegrity spine model. Is that be is that common now or is that still um an obscure model? It's still obscure. There are ones floating around. The ideas around tensegrity, um have been around for a while, so probably like 40s and 50s and explaining human movement and biomechanics through that lens. Uh, The models are kind of tricky to make. Uh, There was this guy in like the 90s and early 2000s who made a bunch of awesome tensegrity models, like of like the hip and the knee and like the hand and elbow and stuff like that. And you can Google them. So there's uh, YouTube videos of them floating around, but he doesn't make the models anymore. No one's actually making them. So 
the I have a pelvis one. Uh, there's a spine one that's floating around. That's okay. Uh, I've seen some better ones floating around, but there's just not that many. Um, but the human body really only makes sense through that tensegrity model of the body in the tension elements being what's weight bearing and not the bones and the joints. Say that last sentence again. What is weight bearing? So in the tensegrity model, yeah. So that model that you're showing there, it's a, I've got it here. Oh, <laughs> so, sweet. Okay, yes, yeah. Yeah, screw so, this picture. Let's yes. see. Okay, so, okay, so. And I start here because that was one of the, for me, just, I, I don't know shit, except that I, I live with constant back pain. But when I saw that thing, I was like, and you explained it in a podcast that I watched of you, I was like, wow, this this is I mean, it all makes sense, but please yeah. go ahead. Yeah. So, but I had never this, thought of it like yeah, that. So, this is what most people think of when they think of the spine. So, we have yes. bone, we have disc, we have bone, and the way uh, the anatomical. And can ahead. you hold that up again? Yeah. 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 And that when I um and then when I put a barbell on, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I put a barbell on there to back squat, those are your fingers, and it squishes that thing in the middle. Yes. So That's the way I what, think. Okay. This is what like ninety nine point nine percent of orthopedic surgeons, chiropractors, exercisers. This is how they think the body works. Yeah. And like yet, water beds in between your vertebrae. Yeah. Exactly. And the way the studies did this is they took a human cadaver and they just dissected stuff away. They got rid of the skin, the muscles, the fat, all the connective tissue until this is what was left. And then they put this in under like a force plate and they saw how much force can this thing tolerate before the bulge happens. Okay. And they get a number and they say any activities that cause more force than that are dangerous. Okay. And that idea kind of makes sense. If we think of the scaffolding of the body, like the scaffolding of a building, that idea doesn't make sense. But when you start measuring what the body can do in the real world, we have to kind of throw it out the window because just leaning forwards should be enough force to blow every disc in my back. It should be absolutely impossible for someone to deadlift a thousand pounds, yet the human can do it. If we take one of the bones out of the foot, bring it to the anatomy lab, that bone can break pretty easily. So it's not that much force that it takes to break a bone. If you think of like eating a chicken wing, that bone's not that strong. Um, so it's logical, but when you reverse engineer it, it makes no sense. Yeah, exactly. Uh, by the way, you know, that's that's sort of uh, the thing with uh, climate change, too, which is which is fascinating about about those theories. You can't look back. You can use climate change model to predict the the doom and gloom coming in the future. But when you take that model and look backwards, it can't predict the weather accurately. It's only so, like a one way model. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, so, so I, and it's, I'm, it's, not, I'm not taking really a position on it, yeah. but it's an interesting mo it's interesting. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, yeah. So going back to the human body and the tensegrity models is when we look at peak forces in jumping or peak forces in landing from a clean. We know that those forces are several times the body weight or several times the weight of the system. So somehow we have a foot bone that can only handle a few dozen pounds of pressure in the lab, but the foot bone when attached to the system can handle peak forces that are thousands and thousands of pounds. So this can't make sense if the bones and joints are weight bearing. It only makes sense if the muscles and the soft tissues do the main weight bearing and the bones just help distribute that weight around. Fat, yeah, fascinating. And, and, and can you show us that? With, yeah, for with sure. The, so actually, I'm going to okay. show you with the pelvis model because it's a little bit easier okay. to understand okay. on okay. this one. So okay. this is the pelvis model here. Okay. So those long ones are theoretically my legs dangling down? Yeah, yeah. so okay. these, these sticks on the side, that would be your femur, let's say. Okay. And then this might be like the front and the back of your pelvis. This might be like your ASIS and your PSIS part of your pelvis. But for the most part, just think of this as something in your leg pelvis complex. Okay. But if you have upper body issues, it could 
be your arms swinging as well. Okay. Okay. So this system that we look at here, I've got the mirror mode on the uh, on the video here. So every time I like go left, I want to go right here. So if I do that a few more times, uh, apologies. But anyways, so you'll notice in this model here, none of the sticks themselves are actually touching. They're yep. just floating there in space by the rubber bands, which are your muscles, your soft tissues. So when they are balanced in the right way, there isn't force actually going across the joint surfaces themselves. So functionally, we're for the most part degeneration proof if we can find a way to make this stuff balanced enough. The problems come from when it's not. So it's not that degeneration is inevitable. It's that degeneration is the byproduct of this happening mm-hmm. for extended periods of time. What so are some of Go ahead. Go ahead. Go. No, no, you go ahead. I was going to say that is, so let's go back to the spine model and kind of talk about the same things. So in this spine model here, these sticks, none of them are touching. They're just floating there in space by the rubber bands and the discs would live in the spaces in between here. And you'll notice that there is no force actually going through what would be the disc it's all being absorbed by the rubber bands, the muscles and the soft tissues again. Right. If things are working normally. <laughs> and, and, and how do things stop working normally? So that is a loaded question. And this is why pain can be a little bit complicated because it could be for a lot of reasons. So for the spine, one of the reasons might be you lose the ability to use all the parts of the spine properly. So when I go to bend and twist, the whole spine should be helping me bend and twist. But let's say I've got a bunch of stiffness in like the top part of my spine and nothing real and all the movements happening from the bottom. So now something like that. Okay. Okay. Instead of that happening. So sometimes when you like see people doing like the GHD sit up and it looks like they're just folding from one part of their back. Yeah, that's what we want to avoid. Right. <laughs> so we want right. it to look more like a smooth curve going each direction and not just one piece doing everything. Man, there must be some back bending videos on YouTube that just make you utterly cringe, huh? So, yes and no. I mean, it's one of those things where I've been around this long enough that I know that the human body is pretty adaptable. And it can get away with a lot more than most people think. Uh, so I look at something and I say, okay, you're putting more stress on that part than some other part of your body. Can you handle it is the question. Have you trained yourself enough to be able to tolerate that one piece doing the job of your entire spine? Maybe yes, maybe no. I come from um, the CrossFit world. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's these there's – these, uh, strict guidelines on deadlifting right foot placement um the 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 curvature of the back um all all of that stuff and then within the crossfit community there's people like who are introduced to me at a young age oh thank you so much my notes um uh and then there's people within the crossfit community who are extremely strong who don't follow those rules like in the first person i saw was like rob orlando picking up um stones Mm-hmm. And, and and at that point I knew that there was there was some wiggle room in, in, in the belief of how things should be picked up. And then of course and, and I and, and he and he did he didn't have back pain and he would completely roll over and arch his back and cup the ball and he would do these 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 movements that were wrong 
dangerous, but he did them beautifully. He did them in control and he did them over and over. And then when I see the strongman world, and then I saw this on your, and, and I personally love forward folding. I love forward folding. It gives me such relief in my back, especially once I'm warmed up. And I've always been told by people, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's just momentary pleasure you're receiving. And it's actually exacerbating your problem. But there was something that you do on your Instagram. And I think it is called the, um, uh jefferson curl oh yeah yeah this is it and i thought yeah this is a i probably shouldn't start by showing this one people people at home don't do this one please don't like i (laughs) i I spent years and years and years working up to this level of ability so please don't do this at home okay and so what's when you're doing that where is moses are you in your spine like your awareness? Do, do you know what I mean by you? Yeah, no, that that is a really, really good question. And what I'm really focusing on doing as I do a lift like this is making sure that I'm feeling the load being distributed to different places. So I'm making sure that as I'm bending forward, it's like, hey, do I feel a little tension here? Do I feel some here? Do I feel some here? Making sure that it's evenly distributed and I'm not feeling too much tension in any one spot. I know that if the whole spine is distributing the load, it's going to be safe. I know that if any one place starts taking on way more stress than it can handle, that's where things start to get a little dicey. I, I, um, for those of you who are watching this, you need to know one thing um, very quickly about Moses. Moses has a max back uh, max deadlift of 621 pounds, I believe. And he has a, a, a triple weight uh, deadlift of 600 pounds. And he, I, I, I don't have it here in front of me, but he he drew a curve, basically a bell curve that that showed, um, you know, the, the perfect position, I guess, of a deadlift. I guess what we learn in CrossFit. And then these two, not that they're called imperfect or wrong, but one that's like the Jefferson curl and then the other one that was overextended, right? Yeah. And if you work on those also, and this should make sense to all crossfitters who've taken their L1, you raise the room under the curve. You may not max you may not increase your max deadlift, but you but you my words, not Moses, is build protection for when maybe you are out of the perfect position. Exactly. Because think we can't guarantee that things are gonna go perfectly. And CrossFit is a sport where fatigue is a factor. So yeah, fatigue and speed, to, right? Exactly. So if we know that we're adding fatigue and speed to the equation, we know that there's going to be times where our spine deviates from that neutral position where we're going to be the strongest. And when that happens, we want to make sure we have some level of resiliency so it doesn't end up being snap city. <laughs> right. Um, how how old are you? I'm 39. Oh wow, you look good. Uh, and, and nice your, how's your how, how's your back? Does your back look feel good? My back feels great. Uh, actually, uh, something I'm planning on doing this year. Uh, once, so my goal for my training season is a double bodyweight Jefferson curl, and I have an MRI from several years ago of my low back, and I want to take an MRI like the day that I do the Jefferson curl to show that hey, just because you're rounding your back doesn't mean that you're going to blow stuff up. <laughs> You also yeah, that feels great. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I've maybe it's time I don't accept it. Um, a lot of people have talked to me about it, but I just accept my back pain. And 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 the sort of the the manifestation of my back pain is 
Um, from from a young age, I, I I I don't know, like in my twenties, I would have back pain, and my back pain would be like I'd be I'd be on the toilet and I'd fart, and my back would go out, and that would happen like four times a year, right? Just stupid shit. Or I'd go to catch a frisbee, and my back would go out. And then I started doing CrossFit, and instead of it going out four times a year, when I was just like putting on my pants, it would go out twice a year, and it would always be from deadlifts, always mm-hmm. every single every basically every single time something crazy happened with deadlifts, and um. And then basically I had kids, I have kids now. And so I stopped doing all, all heavy deadlifts. Like basically I think in the last, I stick at 135. I just put the 135 on after I'm really, really warm and I'll, and I'll do, you know, some workout like burpees, deadlifts and, and, you know, something chill, we'll chill for CrossFitter. And, um, and I've accepted the fact that every morning I wake up, not because I'm done sleeping, but because my back hurts. I have a cup of coffee. I warm up an hour later. My back pain's gone, but I'm careful then the rest of the day, right? Like I can't mm-hmm. fuck up because I can't be stuck in bed because I got three yeah. kids I got to take care of. Mm-hmm. But when I, when I read your work and, and, I, and I do all my – in the last two years, I do all my um, exercising with nose breathing. So I, okay. I try to I – try, I never breathe through my mouth while I'm exercising anymore. And I kind of do that because um, – don't tell anyone this – but it's allowed me to really dial back my intensity. That is actually something I use as my intensity gauge when I'm doing cardio things. Okay, so tell me I'm about that. Because I always feel like I'm cheating and no one knows. Like I'm being really sneaky. I put this other rule in so I could be a pussy over here. You know what well, I mean? <laughs> I, I kind of do the same thing. So okay, good. <laughs> I, so my personal approach is I want to do stuff that's like really, really easy and really, really hard. And okay. like... I don't have a ton of training time, so I need my training time to be effective. Mm-hmm. I also need my training time to not crush me so bad that I can't focus on my job. Mm-hmm. Like if I absolutely destroy myself and my back's too sore, like I can't bend over and treat patients. <laughs> so there's a balance between my fitness goals and being able to actually do my job. So I my cardio stuff, I have been really focusing on keeping my heart rate pretty low and being able to breathe through the nose the entire time. And I noticed that if I feel the urge to start breathing through my mouth, yes, intensity is too high. I back down a little bit. Now, if do you even I, do that, like on the rower and on the assault bike, um, I don't do those things anymore. So I uh, you don't, I don't, um, I ran track in college. I was a 400 meter runner and okay. I did a lot of anaerobic suffering and I don't really want to anymore. <laughs> okay, okay. So right now my folk, my training focus is high level strength performance and base aerobic fitness. And, so and I uh, really don't. Sorry, go ahead. What is ba- well, tell me about base aerobic fitness. So I look at my fitness goals kind of through the filter of epidemiology in terms of what do we know are the things that are killing us. And what are the things we know are creating disability? So leading causes of death in America, number one, heart disease. Like blow, like by far and away, number one is heart disease. Um, Number two is usually uh, some type of respiratory disease. So having a shitty heart and shitty lungs is the most number one, number two, most likely things to kill you. So I look at my cardio workouts through the lens of trying to make it so that I don't die of the leading causes of death in America. And, 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 and so, okay, go on, go on. So with that, it's just accumulating time, it's just accumulating time with a 
moderately elevated heart rate. Um, Doesn't need to be 180. It's just moderately elevated. When it gets into performance world, yeah, you need to get that heart rate up there and get on the assault bike and stuff like that. But my goal is not endurance performance. It's Um, what do you do to what do you do to warm up for endurance stuff or for strength stuff? Um, but both. Let's start with strength stuff. Okay, so strength, like you personally, yeah, yeah. So my warm up is I will do uh something called controlled articular rotations so there's just controlled joint movement so just trying to work the full range of motion of any joint that's going to be used in that workout and try to get just some sensory awareness into the joint in question and then i'll start to get into my warm-up sets so this So, so this is you. This is wearing the same shirt as uh, as in your post here. (laughs) It's it says cars live. Tell me what that stands for again. So it's controlled articular rotations. Controlled articular rotations. And what's interesting is at the end of this video, you have a huge smile on your face, like you got some endorphins going, and you're sweating. Yep. So the goal of a warm up is to literally increase the core body temperature. And prepare the joints for the movement you're going to do. Uh, to to be to warm the core temp, and, and why is that important? The core temp. So our muscles perform better at a increased core t- core body temperature. Yeah. So that's basically. So I. It's, it's interesting in this this routine. I think of of the of the um, uh, controlled articular rotations. Did I say it right. Yep. We call them cars uh, just to make it easy. <laughs> so um, make one syllable instead of many. This it, there's a bunch of these on your Instagram. I, I am basically I, I save this one because I'm going to do this one today. I'm going to put it up on my phone and try like to chase you down through this as you do this. Mm-hmm. But this one's like uh, probably 15 minutes, and the mm-hmm. other ones are a little bit longer that I saw on there, like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. But what I maybe I'm just I, what I do is I just get on the assault bike and I ride it. I ride a hundred calories in 10 minutes. That's kind of the pace. I go in there. It seems safe. Cause I'm sitting down. I try not to let my hip go up and down. I try to get, you know, controlled. I try to get into like a little bit of a rhythm. And then after 10 minutes, I have some beads of sweat going. And that's the only reason why I do it to warm up mm-hmm. because I can't touch my toes when I'm, before I get on the bike and when I get off the bike, I can touch my toes. Yeah. So when your body is more warm, your muscles perform better and you've got more flexibility. And it's kind of the lazy version of cars. It is something that is moving the needle the right direction. Right. You're a good dude. You're a good dude, Moses. <laughs> you are a good dude. Like, as, So I graduated from school a little over 10 years ago. And the deeper I get into my career, the more I realize that it's about just the tiniest gains possible. So just anything that's moving you the right direction, I'm a fan of. Right. It's like I've got I've got my uh, my philosophies about things that are going to move you the right direction faster. But ultimately, if anything you're doing is moving the needle, it's working for you. Yeah, um, uh, I remember Greg used to say that too. He said one time he made fun of him uh, some sort of workout, and he said, and his client started crying. This is Greg Glassman, mm-hmm. and afterwards he walked up to her and he goes, he he said he said he apologized to her and he said he'll never do that again. That he just realized that, like, hey, any movement anyone is doing, you should be like, absolutely. When we, especially when we look at the data on how much people are actually moving. So if we look at like the minimum fitness requirements of like 150 hour or sorry, 150 minutes a week of movement, 
So like two hours and change of just moving your body. So elevated heart rate yeah, and at least two strength sessions a week. So something where you're actually trying to either maintain, excuse me, maintain or build muscle mass. Um, it's like under 20% of people hit those requirements. Uh, oh, sorry. Now I'm falling into the weeds here. Are pull-ups considered um, trying to build muscle? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, for sure. So, and yeah, so if I live, I live kind of under the pull-up bar. Yeah. So if you do a pull-up session twice a week and you go for a 30 minute walk, every, if you walk your dog for 30 minutes every day, that's meeting the fitness requirements. Um, Four out of five people don't hit those numbers. So anyone who does. Kudos to them. Big time. Uh, you have a fabulous website. It's, it is kind of amazing that we, you would think Moses Bernard is like a common name or, but as soon as you type in this guy's name into, uh, maybe he's just the big dog of all the Moses uh, Bernards, but, um, this is you, right? Yeah. That, that's my site. <laughs> a beautiful site, by the way, for those of you who want to see more, you should definitely go over to this site. And, um, there is a huge emphasis on movement, um, and, 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 and adjusting movement to, not alleviate pain to banish so, pain, rid, so rid, it, rid well, your body. So right? pain is complicated, but okay. for the most to simplify it, pain is your brain thinking things aren't safe. Yeah. 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 And wow. That that's why you sometimes, that's why sometimes you feel the pain when your kid's running at you and about to jump on you, mm-hmm. but he hasn't quite got to you yet. Yeah. And you start to feel, you're like, Oh, I'm about to feel some pain. Exactly. Yeah. So pain. So in terms of things being safe, mm-hmm. the the factors that really contribute to that is one is the evidence of harm. So if there's actual damage present, that's a signal for pain. Not guaranteed, but it is one of the variables that can potentially lead to your brain saying, "Hey, this is a painful situation." So I got shot in the arm. Ow, it hurts. Okay. But if I'm trained Navy SEAL, I might be in the middle of a mission and get shot in the arm and not even notice it until the mission's over. Right. Fighting's a classic example, right? When I, I interview a lot of fighters and they say after the fourth punch, you don't even they may even be harder, but they don't hurt. Somehow you've adjusted to it. Yeah. So the other factor is evidence of safety. So your brain thinking things work properly. Now, what are some of the things that can make us feel safe? So strength is a huge one. Warmth is a big one. Uh, flexibility is a good, is a big one and Mm. body control is a big one. Mm. So if my back is strong and it has great sensory awareness and it has good flexibility, my brain's most likely to say, Hey, things are pretty safe here. No need to create pain. Yeah. You actually, in, in one of the videos I saw, you were talking about that. I had never heard it explained like that. If that, if you, if you have a, um, I'm, I'm, I don't even know if I can articulate, but you talk about the joints and being aware of the joints and having healthy joints and how that gives you safety and having yes. awareness there. And I have the exact opposite. I have it where I have pain in my life. I have insecurity in those joints and I don't have awareness in those joints. Mm-hmm. So, it's kind of like, I, it's kind of like I'm, I'm staring at them from the outside going, what's going on in there. Yeah. Something I'd like to uh, comment on is think of it like a GPS signal. So you've got a GPS signal from every joint in your body going back to your brain, telling your brain where it is in space and time. 
And you know, sometimes you're like going through a tunnel or you're in a, like a high overpass and the GPS signal goes from being a point to being more like a cloud. It's like, Hey, you're kind of in this area, but but we don't know exactly where, when parts of our body aren't as healthy, that's what we find is kind of your body's GPS is more of a cloud than it is a pinpoint. And that cloud says, well, I kind of know where I am, but not really. So maybe take it easy. Yeah. What is that? Um, this hasn't happened to me in a long time, thank God, but this used to happen. This is all my injuries. So I would hurt my, I would, I would be deadlifting somewhere. I'd be at the gym at eight CrossFit HQ. I'd be deadlifting. I'd feel something that just Mm -hmm. didn't feel right. Like almost like something moved Mm -hmm. like some bones and shit. And then I, I would panic. I would go home. I dig through like my old Vicodin stash, pop two Vicodin, pour a huge glass of wine and try to just know myself. And then that night I'd barely stand up and I'd look in the mirror and my torso wouldn't be over my, like I, I would literally be crooked. It's mm-hmm. a scary thing. Like, like someone put me together wrong. So what, that what, what is, is that? Okay. So that is what we that, call a, you've seen that, right? That's like oh, all the time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, it's it's oh. very, very common. So it is what's called a local segmental buckle. So one part, so if we have, so we've got my spine here again. Okay. Uh-huh. Now, if all of my bending is being done just at one spot, instead of evenly distributing the load through the whole thing, uh-huh. eventually there might be some movement, whether it is I'm tired at the end of a deadlift workout or I twist the wrong way. If this piece has been doing all of the work, maybe one day it decides I've had enough of it and it tweaks. And when it tweaks, the whole thing can kind of shift a little bit and then it goes into spasm to try to protect it again which doesn't feel very good and when you say spasm those are muscle spasm yep okay so if i've strained this Uh uh-huh the whole system kind of spasms up to try to protect it so now i'm crooked (laughs) yeah so what ends up happening is so think of it like you twist an ankle you hear the pop (laughs) Uh uh-huh the whole thing swells up you walk funny on it for a few days yeah, and eventually it's starting to feel better. Yeah. I have never had twisted my ankle, but I've slept funny on my neck to where it's okay. like, it's all jacked up. Not in years, but I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And, so it hurt, it and it hurts for a few days and then it just subsides. Yeah. And that's what's very common with back injuries. The problem with the back is because those muscles are so deep in the spine and they're so close to some of those nerves, when there's inflammation at that deep level, the whole system just kind of gets pissed off and it feels like it's a much bigger emergency. Is, um, sorry, we're all over the place, but I'm just so excited. Um, how, how about being overweight when, when I I know weight sits differently on different people, but how, how severe is it that, you know, we have, uh, in the last two years, the average, or I think I should probably say it exactly how I heard it in the last two years, I've heard that 40% of the population has put on 30 pounds or more. That's a lot. Yeah. And, um, and I think I, and, and it looks like it when I go outside and I walk around my, like Santa Cruz, California, it, lo- it looks like it, but, but I mean, over the last 30 years, I've only seen people getting fatter and fatter anyway. So I don't, I, it's hard to say that it was because people, the, the, the restrictions that have been put on people the last two years, but I'll buy it. Um, but how bad is that? Cause I always think of that as, is like carrying around. I, I, when I think of 40 pounds, I think of those um, bags of dog food. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Holy shit, that person's 120 pounds overweight. They're carrying three of those. So the thing is, it's not like carrying three bags of dog food because Because it distributes evenly or well, and it doesn't show up overnight. 
Right. Okay. Okay. So if you added like a one pound med like um, sandbag to this shoulder and then tomorrow one to this shoulder, then the next day one here, then the next day one here, um, I'd be able to adapt to that in a way that it wouldn't feel as dramatic as picking up three bags of dog food at the same time. However, there are certain things that we know about extra weight. So if we jump back to our model, if I already have some imbalance that's causing these bones to be touching when they're not supposed to be, and then I add 40 pounds of stress to that, Mm -hmm. it's now just accelerating the problem. So if we think of like high impact things, the reason we don't, the reason people stay away from high impact isn't that high impact is bad. It's usually they already have something that's dysfunctional and high impact is just exposing that dysfunction. Yeah. Added weight is just going to expose and accelerate whatever dysfunctional joint things are going on. And that's from the orthopedic, um, how we feel side of things. If we go back to the what kills us side of things, if heart disease is number one killer, um, adding an extra 40 pounds of fatty tissue that requires an extra 40 pounds of miles of blood vessels that need to percolate through that tissue, and I still only have one pump that can get the blood to all of that tissue, that pump is now under way more strain. Yeah, so I care wow. a lot about how people feel, but I care a lot more about people staying alive. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and you kind of, and you alluded to that right off the bat, even just when we talked about um, doing cardio, which is funny that you say you don't do cardio, but then after talking to you, and from my perspective. You well, no, I do cardio. cardio. I just don't, I just don't do like assault bike. Pancake bike. stuff. Yeah. You could ride it like a baby like me, just breathe through your yeah, nose. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, t- t- I want to talk about um, being a chiropractor. Where You were born in Canada? I was born, uh, born and grew up in central Canada. So born in Winnipeg, grew up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, uh, did my undergrad in Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, then moved down to Texas for chiropractic school, decided I liked there not being snow around. So I moved to Florida and I really liked there not being snow around and just kind of stuck around. And, and are your, are your parents still in Canada? They are. And are you, um, are, are your parents immigrants from somewhere? Yes. Uh, they are immigrants from the Caribbean. So you're the first generation, yes, a Canadian, and um, wow, that's a that's that's a that's quite the uh, um, climate change. It's funny. Uh, I heard uh, I follow the climate UFC. and cultural. <laughs> yeah, I, I fought. Well, I follow the UFC, and um, there's a guy named Glover Teixeira who's Brazilian, who's up in the northeast somewhere. I want to say like Vermont or Connecticut. And I and I follow him, and I realize that the city he lives in has the largest number of Brazilians outside of like or in the United States. And I was just thinking like, wow, I'm guessing people do that um, move up there because of some economic reasons, or one person moves there, and then the families start coming there. But it's just fascinating to me that uh, you think you would think that because of the weather. Well, how do they adapt? How did your parents adapt? Like, so do you I'm, feel more like you um, now that you're in Florida? I do. Whatever I the totally fuck that do. means. Like, yeah. I like, 
I used to like lotion my skin like mul- like multiple times a day, and I had chapstick in my pocket twenty four seven when I was oh, up my north, God. and yes. like I would need to reapply chapstick every thirty minutes. And this was my entire life, so I just assumed that was a normal thing. Um, I'd probably get nosebleeds maybe once a month or something like that. And then I moved to Texas, and I realized after like about a month, month and a half, I was like, "Hey, wait a minute! I haven't actually had to use my chapstick since I've been here." weird. Oh, I haven't needed to moisturize my skin as much since I've been here. Kind of weird. And so, yeah, I feel like my body just likes the heat and the humidity a lot more than it enjoyed being up north. Yeah, I went to Lake Tahoe. It's it's probably just it, it's not even so far north, but it's the elevation change. I'm in San I'm at sea level and I went to Lake Tahoe this year and every year I go there and it's at probably like 5 or 6,000 feet and instantly when I get there my nose dries up and I start having bloody noses every day. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not supposed to be here. And and that chap lip shit is insane. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Insane. Okay. So your your first your generation up there, then you come any chance you're gonna bring your parents down? Like you're gonna be like, yo, split. You got they, they they like it up there. So my mom's okay. the cold. Yeah. Okay. Uh all, right. my family's still up there. Sister, brother, nieces, nephews, they're all up there and they like it. So Yeah, I I I I've I like this lifestyle. There's a guy named uh, Nicky Rodriguez in um, uh, in Austin, Texas. He's a jiu-jitsu guy. Every time I interview him, he has a shirt off. I like the rich froning. Always mm-hmm. have your shirt off. I like this, especially now that I'm 49. I like this. You just have your shirt off all the time, sweaty lifestyle. Like I just think in a hot environment, humid, I just think the – I don't know if it's a, if, if, if a chiropractor can say it, but clinically, I just think it's it's better for your whole entire body. All your muscles, well, your bones, everything. My philosophy on like what's good for us is based on what have we been doing the longest. And wearing clothes all day, every day is a pretty new thing in evolutionary history. <laughs> mm. So our species has like tens of thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands of years where we weren't indoor all the time and in clothes all the time. So I think that kind of shirt off being sweaty in the sun, breathing fresh air experience is part of what it is to be human. Yeah. Uh, do you get much of that? Like, do you now that you're in Florida? Well, here, when I was a kid, I remember like going through junior high and hating sweating. And then all through high school, hating sweating. Like if I started sweating, I maybe would go into my car and turn the AC on. I didn't even live in a hot environment. I'm in the Bay Area. And then I don't know what happened. I think it wasn't until I started CrossFit and I realized, holy shit, what a stupid way to live my life to be afraid of sweating. Like this is, it was, I'm sure it was all vanity. Now it's like, I can't wait to get sweaty. I love going out on a hot day and letting those first uncomfortable beads of sweat start. And then just like, embracing it you're in florida you must i guess you only have two choices to either trip or embrace it right pretty much so i recently moved so i could walk to work so right now i'm about a 10 minute walk to work and when it's really really hot out i'm still walking to work we'll just bring a change of clothes because even in 10 minutes when it's 95 degrees and pretty close to max humidity it's like you're sweating no matter how slow you walk so People and some of my patients will be like, man, it's like it's so hot outside. I'm like, yeah, it's it's hot. Big deal. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel that way now about the rain too. If it's pouring rain, I'll take my kids to the beach and and they'll be like, What are we doing? I go, We're gonna go for a walk for 30 minutes. There it's gonna be cold. I'm like, Well, we can just go home and get in a hot shower. 
That's so we're, modern, we're modern man. We yeah, can do exactly. it. We can have our cake and eat it too. Yeah. And then they go out. We just go out and play in the rain. Yeah. yeah. My office, uh, I'm in a yoga wellness studio and mm-hmm. we recently got a, like a massive Nordic sauna and we've got a bunch of cold tubs in the back. So Dude. we have a, these classes that are set up where it's like a sauna cold plunge class. So it'll be you're in the sauna and our sauna gets like 200 degrees. It's awesome. So sauna for like eight to 12 minutes, cold plunge for three or four minutes and go back and forth three or four times over the course of an hour. And I've been doing it a couple times a week for the last couple of months. And I've noticed it's really changing my human relationship with one discomfort and two with just changes in body temperature. Mm. So like, oh, I'm cold and wet, but I won't be eventually. Yeah. Oh, I'm hot and sweaty. But I won't be eventually. Have you experienced any of those trippy highs that you get when you go from the super hot into the cold and like you basically can't stop laughing and you're it's like someone dropped some MDMA in your shit? <laughs> Absolutely. So I've been it's crazy, right? I've, got, I've so gotten to a weird. place where I started doing like some breath holds like in the cold water. So uh-huh. it's like my body temperature is up from the heat. I'll go in the cold. I'll get this like massive like blood pressure dump while I'm holding my breath. And like there's some weird brain stuff going on. Like it's it's been pretty wild. <laughs> I, I went to the first time that happened to me. I was in Finland and I was naked with all these dudes, and I wasn't uncomfortable. It was actually, I don't know if you know the guy. It was Miko Salo. Uh, name sounds familiar. He was the CrossFit Games champion in 2009. Okay. And, and we were up in Finland, and we get into this sauna that's, a, that's overlooking just this body of water that's like frozen. It's like we're in a bay, and we're in there forever, and then we walk out into this bay. So I'm feeling uncomfortable because I'm naked because I'm just an American. I'm not used to that shit. They're all they're all stoic and shit. <laughs> in a way, that's get only Scandinavians yeah. can be right. <laughs> and I go in there and I come out and literally for 30 minutes, I'm 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 just me and my my friend. We're just we just can't stop laughing. And we're around the, and they're just like, mm, mm. it was it was nuts. <laughs> it, it was it was absolutely it was one of the best experiences I've had in my life. I bet. Yeah, completely sober. So, so, so you move, so when you're up there, is that when you decide to do chiropractic stuff? Yeah. So I was in Vancouver. It was my third year of college and I tore my hamstring and the traditional route. Because was, you were a track, you're a track and field athlete. Yeah. And there's some great pictures of you doing that stuff on your Instagram, by the way. Okay, go on. Yeah. So I tore my hamstring and I was doing the traditional route to get it cleaned up. So I was doing my tr- the traditional physical therapy. I was at the University of British Columbia, which is a tier one research university. So uh, the equivalent of being at like a Harvard med school in Canada is running my PT and my rehab. And I'm a 20-year-old kid, so what they say goes. And I was a pretty good student, and I was going to PT religiously and doing what they said religiously, and I felt like it just wasn't moving the needle. And as the school year was coming to a close, I was going to go back to my hometown for the summer, and all of a sudden, I don't have access to this sports med department. So I figure I'm going to start looking at some... Mm approaches that are actually going to carry me through the summer. So I started looking at massage and acupuncture and some other things and nothing had really moved the needle. Uh, I found a chiropractor in my hometown. And at this point in my life, I knew absolutely nothing about chiropractors. I didn't know what they did. I didn't know um, that they were alternative medicine. All I knew is they were somewhat healthcare related. Uh, Started seeing the chiropractor, started getting some adjustments, noticed things felt different for the first time in a really long time. And 
that kind of piqued my interest. Um, I'd been going to him like maybe it was like the third or fourth visit seeing this chiropractor. He asked me what I was planning on doing professionally. And I didn't really know at the time. Uh, I was in exercise physiology biomechanics because I was really interested in the body, but I didn't really know where that was going to lead me. So I mentioned that uh, he brings in brochures from some different chiropractic schools. I started looking into it and it seemed like it would be something that could be a good fit for me. So that led me to Texas. <laughs> Yeah. And so you take this traditional route. Was there anything unique about your chiropractic school or it was just your standard chiropractic school? So in the chiropractic profession, there are three kind of pillars that every school has as its foundation that we call the, uh, the science, art and philosophy of chiropractic and different schools kind of weigh a little bit more heavily on some of those variables. So there are some schools that are very philosophy heavy, where it would be kind of promoting chiropractic the way it was promoted back in 19 or sorry, in 1895, when the profession started of every single problem in the world or every single problem in the human body is a byproduct of your bones being out of place. Okay. Um, some are very science based, where it is basically the chiropractor is a small part of the healthcare team that focuses on back pain and neck pain. Some are very art-based where they spend a lot of time focused on the skills of your hands and the ability to deliver manual therapy. And then the other school are all the other schools are some kind of combination of those three things. And the school that I went to was one that was pretty balanced in those three things. I feel like I got a pretty good education regarding um orthopedics in terms of like my hands being pretty good and I feel like it was a good balance between like very very old school out of date chiropractic and very very new school advances in our understanding of the human body and how it works is there an evolution to to how um, chiropractors kind of work like when you start you think it's all science and then or philosophy and then you think it's all like is there a standard career trajectory and then by the time you've been doing it for 30 years you're like okay this is an art like is there some sort of I can't speak Anything you've for other people. I can definitely speak for myself. So mm -hmm. I have definitely had a pretty big arc in my professional career in that I started um, much stronger on the art. And well, I had a very strong science background. And so when I went to chiropractic school, I really wasn't that focused on that because I knew I had built that up to a certain level. I was trying to get the other stuff to catch up. Yeah. So I spent a lot more time in my chiropractic program really focusing on more on the philosophy and the art. So then I graduated and I started seeing patients and I realized that healthcare is not medical science. Healthcare is interpersonal relationships. And as I've gone deeper into my professional career, I've really noticed that it isn't about how much I know. It isn't even about the results that I am able to get. It's about my ability to communicate effectively with the patient in front of me. What the heck's going on? I have been over the years to three different – I don't even want to call them chiropractors because I really don't know. But okay. you go to someone's office and they do adjustments on you. Mm -hmm. Chances are that was a chiropractor. And all, and all <laughs> if that's three, all they did, chances are that's a chiropractor. 
Okay, yeah. And they did some, like, they put some cups on my, one guy put some cups on my back. One guy put his thumb in my mouth and was, like, trying to, like, told me that my issue was because of my cranium, was trying to, like, move my something in the roof of my mouth. I don't know. But um, all three times I left, they're worse than when I went in. But I have this whole cadre, like, all my friends, like, swear by it. Like, there's a dude in town that everyone goes to here in Santa Cruz that I went to, and I, like, he wrecked me. He was so, I went in there, and he, I was hurt, and I came out, like, injured, like, beat up. I think a big problem is because... These were all guys who did manual shit, by the way, like, cranking on me and shit. And there is a time and place for everything, and you really need to use the right tool for the job. And if the problem is there's things in your spine that are really stiff and really locked up, then getting them to move is going to feel a lot better. Yeah. If the problem is things are moving too much and they're unstable, me doing that is going to make it feel worse. So we have a tendency to think, Hey, this thing worked for me. I had pain in this location. You have pain in the same location. So this same thing will work for you and not necessarily. Right. So something that I like to explain to my patients is if let's say these muscles here are too tight, that might pull me out of place. And if I've been stuck here for a long enough time, these two bones might kind of cobweb together and then a adjustment might break them apart. So things are in the right or moving better. Okay. So if the problem is the cobwebs are keeping things locked together, an adjustment is going to do a good job. Okay. But let's say the problem is this muscle is really, really weak. Okay. And that is resulting in me being over here. Now I do the adjustment. Well, now I've taken an unstable thing and made it more unstable. Right, 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 right. So we could have things are too tight creates the problem. We could have things are too flexible creates the problem. We could have things are overtrained. So let's say I have a workout where, or a workout philosophy where these muscles get trained a lot and these ones don't, that could create an imbalance. Let's say for just whatever reason, I don't like training these muscles that could create an imbalance. And all of those things are going to require different solutions. And if you happen to have the problem where it's muscle is too tight, causing the problem, massage is going to do a really good job in fixing things. If the problem is muscle is too weak, causing the problem, manual therapy is not going to do shit. <laughs> the problem is, is weakness. So you can only fix that with strength. So there's a screening process that you're put through that's supposed to identify the problem before the cure is applied. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it seems radical to say that because it's so commonly not done, but I don't understand how we can be quality healthcare providers without knowing what's going on. Oh, your neck hurts. Let's just move it. Okay. Why does your neck hurt? What's going on that your neck hurts? Is it a muscle issue? Is it a joint issue? Is it a weakness issue? Is it a flexibility issue? Is it a strength issue? Is it a overtraining issue? Is it an under recovery issue? Is it a global inflammation? Like we don't know just by, Oh, this is tight. Let me adjust. Do you send most of your clients home with, um, um, uh, 
you 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 might go to the doctor and you're in pain and they give you a prescription and mm-hmm. you go fill up the pharma- you go fill it at the pharmacy so they've sent you home with something do you send most of your clients home with something like hey stand on one foot and hold your arms out while you I take sell, deep breaths I send I send my patient 100% of my patients home with something to work on 100% yeah so my entire model my entire philosophy is based on the hours that you aren't in my office So I don't care about how good you move for the 30 minutes a week that you might be in here. I care about how you move the 167 and a half hours that you aren't in this office. And the only way to get you to move better without me holding your hand is to teach you how to move differently without you, me holding your hand. Yeah. I'm going to swerve, swerve around it here a little bit. Um, when, if, if Michael Jordan's your dad and, <laughs> and, 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 and you're raised around him mm-hmm. and you, as you're laying in your crib, you see him walk across the room mm-hmm. and you see how he moves, how he goes upstairs. Mm-hmm. He takes you to the gym. You see him play some basketball. You're sitting there in your cart. Are you... Are are you learning something in the same way that maybe my dad had back pain his yes, whole life? One hundred percent, you are. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. You because, see where I'm going with this? Yeah. Motor learning is a learned behavior. Yeah, like so. Not ge- I'm not talking about genetics that Michael Jordan might have these kind of genetics that allowed for this. Yes. I'm talking about like so. I I don't want to use these words because they're CrossFit words, but like a motor recruitment pattern or um uh, an angle that your body hangs. Explain yeah, no, that no, to it, me. It okay, is, it is one hundred percent a motor learning pattern. So you're. You've what does that mean? Out. So it is. We learn to move based on what we see. Okay. To a certain extent. Right, right. I see my kids do that, like especially two of them. They can just watch something on YouTube or they can just – we go to tennis practice and if the coach demos it, they got it. I'm like, holy shit. And part of that, part of the reason kids can do this so much better than us is because they got better GPS signals coming in. Their joints all uh, work better than ours. <laughs> so they're able to learn the skill better. Now, this isn't to say that vision is exclusively how we learn to move because blind people learn to walk too and they learn uh, motor skills as well. Right. Um, but vision is a tool that we use to learn move. And it's a very effective tool to learn to move. So yeah, so if I'm growing up and it's a single father situation and he is the main person that I see moving and he's got back pain and he's had a back pain movement strategy that he is showing me for my developmental years, I'm more likely to acquire that as my foundational movement strategy. Yeah, I think it, I'm doomed to it doesn't mean I'm stuck there forever. It's just that's probably where the foundation is going to be laid. People have said to me who've seen my father walk and me walk, they're like, you guys walk the same. And now I see my son, my, mm-hmm. my oldest son, and uh, and I'm like, oh, shit, he's he's holding himself like he has back pain. Fuck, I gave that shit to him. I mean, he doesn't have back pain yet. Well, here's, <laughs> But here's I can the- see the way he kind of moves, like, well, not when he's playing sports, but but when he's just, like, walking across the room, he's got, like, a little bit of RoboCop to him. Like I, I'm, I'm assuming dad's got some RoboCop to him. Yeah, totally. I'm a t- stiff. If I'm not sweating, I'm a, I'm a basically a, just a moving rock. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's um, it's like there you go, the, son. Merry Christmas. Here's a whole life of back pain. Yeah, well, yeah, it's like when people say like bunions are genetic. 
It's like, okay, there are some genetic markers that make your connective tissue kind of respond in different ways from the average person. But a lot of the times it's, you just learned some way of moving that was mirrored to you. Yeah. And you see these kids, uh, I'll see these kids who like run on their toes at a really young age, like, like, like a three-year-old who can outrun all the other three-year-olds. He's just mm-hmm. basically like doing that pose method, just leans forward and flies. And that all mm-hmm. the other, and then, and then I see the parents and the dad's light on his toes or the mom's light on his toes. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh shit. I see yeah, it. It's yeah. That's kids are so good at learning things like this, that it's, it's just unconscious. It's automatic. They don't need to try. It just happens. I should have given my uh, kids to uh, Michael Jordan. I wonder if he would have taken them. The, I, I, I saw that. I, I heard the story one time on NPR. I, I don't know what happened to the lady that was like, this is, when I used to listen to NPR, uh, maybe five years ago. And it was a young girl and she was like 13 years old and she was the greatest like rock climber, like prodigy ever. Mm-hmm. And I use the word prodigy. Yeah. She's not a prodigy. She worked her ass off. Yeah. But at a very young age, her parents had gave her a monkey. <laughs> and, and that's genius. Yeah. That and is- she followed the monkey fucking everywhere. But one of the things that also happened is her wingspan was enormous. And I was tripping on that. I understand the movement thing. But the fact that maybe your body would even adapt and give you like an extra inch or two on your wingspan because your homeboy is a monkey is, is, is well, nuts to me. here's the way that that can actually happen. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a – I'm so glad you didn't say, hey, this is crazy. I'm getting No, 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 no. There's, 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 there's a reason that this can make sense. <laughs> there's, there's a huge reason that this can make sense. So our bones are – the growth of our bones is not a passive process. It's a dynamic process. And it's going to be based on the forces that I'm putting into them. Mm. So if I am just living my life and I develop like, that's not my mic here. Uh, So if I develop like the normal American child these days, who's not allowed to go outside, not allowed to play in the monkey bars and stuff like that. I'm never actually getting any type of distractive force on my arms. So the cells that make up the bones of my arms are never getting an expansive force. Yeah. So they're never being told to ever grow this way. Yeah. Now, if let's say I'm following this monkey around and every day I'm climbing and hanging stuff. Yeah, I'm, they said she just climbed all day. She just yeah. followed the monkey everywhere. That's yeah. they, they said it was just nuts. Yeah. So if we look at a professional tennis player, the bone mineral density of their dominant arm versus their non-dominant arm is way, way, way higher. Wow. The way the bones fuse in their dominant hand and dominant arm is different from how it fuses in their non-dominant arm. So we already know that the movements we do when we're young change bone remodeling. Do you have kids? I do not. <laughs> um, if, if you if you had kids, do you have a – like my, my philosophy was to um, get them to do something to seduce a mate and then protect a mate. So like <laughs> dancing music and then jujitsu, right? Okay. That way like, like you could seduce someone and they like you. And then like, then you can protect your tribe. Um, so, so, and so, and um, do you have a, a thought on, um, uh, and basically you want to make your kids capable. You want to make yeah. them capable of being 
extremely kind, extremely loving, extremely fierce, good with numbers, good with the language. Do you have a movement philosophy? Have you thought about a movement philosophy for kids, what you would do if you had a kid? Do you ever play with that idea? Absolutely. Um, it would be as much variability as possible. Mm. Put them in everything. Mm. Put in, build a jungle gym in the backyard, have them take gymnastics, have them do jujitsu, have them play ball sports, have them on ice. I would just have them do absolutely everything. Uh, there's a, a critical window when we're young, when all of our joints are doing what they're supposed to, that they're more able to learn. If you think of it like languages, people who learn languages, like before the age of 10, they learn it without like a native accent. Uh, people who learn languages like after the age of 20, you start to you usually hear that like underlying accent of whatever language was their first language. Yeah. Um, you 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 have your own cadence from being from the north. I do. Yeah. So I have a little bit of a hybrid accent. Yeah. Yours is definitely not as like um, pronounced as like other Canadians I've interviewed. Yeah. Well, a I big mean, part of that is I've been in the U.S. for almost 15 years now. And to go with that, it was very far into the south of the U.S. Uh, uh, do your parents have an accent? Oh, yeah. Super strong yeah. Caribbean accent. Okay. And I bet you that was influential, too, because my dad has a strong um, Armenian accent. Well, something that me and my sister did is we kind of made fun of my mom's accent. And whenever she would say something, we'd be like, no, mom, it's pronounced this way. So uh, we like over exaggerated the correct pronunciation for things. And that definitely still manifests itself today. So like when um, me and my sister are together and people see us talking, they're like, you guys are like ridiculous. Like you guys sound exactly the same. And it's because we did this thing. Um, can you hear your mom's accent? At, well, I used to not be able to. So growing up, I wasn't able to. But yeah. now, um, if I talk to her on the phone, because I don't hear her voice as often, I can 100% hear it. Yeah, because I can't if I, like, hear it. Or if I hear in a voicemail, I can 100% hear it. But yeah, I oh, never could. Yes. Okay. But I never could growing up. I can't hear my dad's, but if I hear another Armenian man speak, I'll be like, oh, that guy has a strong accent. And then some, one of my friends will be like, hey, he sounds just like your dad. I'm like, what? He does? Yeah, yeah that's, it's a that's, that's, that's interesting that you say that because that's something that I've definitely experienced. I didn't know it was a common thing, but it makes sense. So so you go to chiropractic school. You get these models. You, basically, they teach you, I, I guess, this foundation of chiropractory. Is that tensegrity model in that schooling? It wasn't in mine. So that's something I learned much later in my professional career. Okay. Um, chiropractic school taught the bones are the structure and alignment, excuse me, alignment is a really important model. And are you glad that you were taught that you learned it in this order, even though it, it maybe you don't subscribe to it? Um, I think, yes. So, um, I think, it, so I understand the common model very, very well because I was part of it. And I also understand that this is the model that most people know. So if I only learned tensegrity, I wouldn't really understand why everyone has this totally alternate model of the human body. That doesn't seem to make any sense to me. <laughs> did, did it make sense when they taught it to you? It did at the time, for sure. Um, I look at it like 
architecture. Like we all understand how buildings work. We all understand that there are support beams within buildings. Right. And it makes a lot of sense. The bones could be like the support beams for the human body. That makes sense until you start to dig deeper. Then it doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah, that that happened to me uh, yesterday when I um, was Googling around trying to figure out what I'm, I'm Armenian. Both my parents are Armenian. Um, my dad spent six months a year in Armenia and Ar- Armenia has been fighting a war with its neighbor, Azerbaijan, forever. And uh, um uh, it's funny when you learn more. Um, the Ukraine had been celebrating the death of Armenians and the um, success of Azerbaijan in attacking Armenia. And so it's just interesting to see, like on one hand, you know, you obviously don't want anyone going to war. But when you hear another perspective of my homeland and my relatives of being Ukraine's been selling weapons to Azerbaijan for the last two years. And now they're getting fucked by the Russians. But the Russians have been protecting Armenia from the um, Turkey and Azerbaijan. It's like they, it, the shit gets complicated. I remember seeing something about Shit gets, the, uh, isn't it the, great how I connected that to the right. uh, tensegrity model to the, Oh, and I, and, you, and I know what that I, other I like model that is called. You called it the Newtonian biomechanics model. I learned yes. that last night yeah. on your Instagram. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. So, yeah. So um, it's when you understand how many variables are at play, things get a lot more complicated than we'd like them to be. Yes. And that is the human body. That is political systems. That is yes. a lot of stuff. <laughs> Yes, because of course I, I want to be like, hey, don't like let these people leave these people alone. Don't don't kill people like that. It just feels, yeah, it's just horrible. It's just horrible to think that there's a lady walking to work to work hard, buy groceries, and put them to her kids, regardless of who she is. And now she she can't because someone's bombing her and she's trying to raise her kids. Can so, agree more. Um. So you so then you learn this tensegrity model. Um. What is that group of people like, this chiropractic group? So I learned – So I, I never heard that it was alternative medicine until you just said it. But it is this uh, – um, I know with the, with the whole vaccine coming out that they, I'm hearing more – that kind of gave me some insight into chiropractors that as a whole, they're not they're, – they're believers in natural immunity. So yeah, so the the foundations of the chiropractic profession. So if we go back to the 18 – like late 1800s, mm-hmm. so the – absolute like founder of chiropractic he was a magnetic healer okay and what was his name dd palmer okay okay so he's a magnetic healer all right and he had a janitor who woke up one morning and he like was like deaf in in one of his ears and the he comes to the magnetic healer magnetic healer is like doing his thing and it like feels something in his neck and it's like something feels weird here and he moves some stuff and here comes. oh back. and he's a canadian he is yeah. okay okay yeah so he moves some stuff and boom here and comes back or so the legend goes all right okay so he decides sweet i just found the cure for deafness so it's like and i'm kind of Make like I'm trying to make this a little bit more animated than the real story yeah. here. So yeah, please. My chiropractic philosophy professors don't get mad at me for this. So he's kind of like, come one, come all. I found the cure for deafness. Yeah. So people start coming around. He starts doing his thing, and he noticed that okay, we didn't really fix deafness, but all sorts of other things got better. So this person, their allergies felt a little bit better. This person's neck felt a little bit better. This person's low back felt a little bit better. So then he was like, okay. I didn't find the cure for deafness. I found the cure for everything. Mm. 
And the idea, which kind of made sense at the time, 1800s, um, is that we know that nerves control pretty much everything. We know the nerves leave the spinal cord. So his philosophy was if the bones are out of place, that can put pressure on nerves. That nerve impacts the terminal organ and that will create problems. And that was every problem. That was his idea. Yeah. And by the way, that's kind of how I think, by the way, like just I don't know why if it was programmed. Mm -hmm. That's the way I think, too. I just in my mind, it's something's pinching something. And that's why I hurt. Yeah, that's I no proof that's, of that. Yeah, but yeah, but, that's 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 an idea, and yeah, it's a yeah. really easy idea yeah, to, so easy. <laughs> to run with. It's right. not not really how it works, but that's an idea. That I'm a modern it, day D.D. Palmer. Yeah, so it, it, it's an idea that where that philosophy does make sense, mm-hmm. but the way nerves behave when they're actually being pinched is very different to the symptoms that most people have that they okay. call a pinched nerve. Okay. So it's not really that. Uh, but anyways, so he really started as a magnetic healer in kind of defiance to the way traditional medicine was being done. Now, in his defense, traditional medicine at the time, there was still bloodletting going on. Um, they were using heroin for kids as cough syrup. Like there was a lot of really fucked up things in traditional medicine in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So, yeah, George he, Washington was bled to death, right? Um, not exactly sure. My American history is not so solid. Yeah, yeah, as, uh, yeah. They, someone who grew up Canadian. The doctors, the uh, doctors saved him, just like they're saving people today. Yeah. So the chiropractic profession all like started foundationally as your body doesn't need extra help; it just needs to work properly. We just need to get any get rid of any interference that's allowing the body to function properly. And at a foundational level, I believe that. Not that it's a bone out of place that's causing these things, but I think if we give the body the chance to do what it's capable of, to behave properly, to do the things that we know it needs, get proper sleep, get proper sunshine, get proper exercise, get proper nutrition, have good interpersonal relationships, have not stress, not have stress levels out of control, have our breathing and not let us think that there's tigers entering the room. If we can do these things, the body has a, in my philosophy, the body has a pretty good job of taking care of itself. Is there a, is there a theme that's the dominant theme for what's in the way people's way of letting the body do what it needs to do? Like, is there, is there something that you think, okay, 10% of my pay, this would work on 10% of my pay, or is there like a common theme you see in all your patients? Not all, but a, a, a majority of them. This person, does, if man, if these people just slept a little more, we'd be at the 80 yard line. Like in my world, from my podcast, I'm always preaching if you just stopped eating added sugar and refined carbohydrates, you'd be at the 95 yard line. Is in your world, do you have a. So I think about this a lot, and I don't know that there's one thing that is really leading to it. Um, when I uh, saw Matthew Walker on Rogan's podcast and then read his book, I realized that sleep is one of those things that is way more impactful than most people realize. Um, what's his name? John Rady has a book called Spark that talks about the role of exercise and normal brain function. That's the one. Uh, yeah, that's the education book, right? I think I read yeah. that years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, amazing book. Yeah. So knowing that just foundational level aerobic exercise or foundational level any type of exercise is what makes the brain do normal brain things. 
is like absolutely critical. So I think if most people just moved their bodies and got enough sleep and ate more, to use uh, Michael Pollan's term, uh, ate more food than products, mm. I think we're going the right direction. Mm. Do, do the um, vast majority, when I think of you, sorry, I make this assumption that you really deal with movers though. That, that, that that's Not sort of your. Uh, so, yes and no. Um, I. I understand movers. So I understand their motivation. So I work really well with them. Um, I understand someone who wants to do the right things, who is active. They're already working out. They already are paying attention to their diet and they're paying attention to their sleep, but they've got this nagging thing that they can't quite figure out. And it's not necessarily a blown disc on MRI, it's not a broken bone, but they know, yeah, my shoulder's just not a normal shoulder. It's like, it's okay if I'm just doing push-ups, but if I bench heavy, I notice it. Like, it doesn't stop me in day-to-day life, but there's something there that I know quite isn't working right. Because that was right. me. So I never had any, like, big, major diagnosable problems, but I had a bunch of little things that I just knew weren't right and weren't perfect. And... After I graduated, it was like a six, seven year journey of taking like way too many continuing education classes to see, was anyone looking for the gap between I'm not in pain, but I'm not a unicorn either. And I feel like I've been able to find some systems that are looking for that. Yeah. I, 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 um, uh, as, as you talk, uh, I keep thinking about what you, what you're also, what you also said. It's, and it's a theme that I keep applying to all these, uh, you know, areas of nuance that we go to that if your joints are healthy or if they can communicate well to the brain, things work well, things, or work things, better. Or things, things can work be better. repaired. Yeah. And I like the way we talked about that in relationship to kids too. Because it's a brand new computer, the hard drive's empty, and everything's firing, and the keyboard's clean, doesn't have crumbs and shit in it, and everything's just like working. All that I, I really, I really like that analogy because kind of at a at a foundational level, it's kind of like that. Yeah, the CPU is getting all the information it needs at the proper speeds, and yeah, it's it's just it's just it's just really flowing. If if you were to um, if someone wanted to be a chiropractor. If someone wanted to follow in your footsteps, would you recommend that they took the same path you took? I would start. No, okay. <laughs> tell, tell me. Tell me. Okay. So the the reason I say that is just because I feel like education has changed so much in the last decade of the last twenty years that there's a lot within our education system that's kind of filler, and I think if we go really far back to when education was just about global learning there's foundations of our like getting an undergrad like think of like your minor like what's that for like why do we need to learn about subjects that are totally different from our area of specialization so you can meet it's, girls yeah that, there's that but <laughs> i think the, the foundational ideas are so that you can be a semi well-rounded person but i can do that watching a youtube documentary right like right. i can do that taking a trip overseas Right. So I don't think that needs to be a necessary. That would actually part. be better. A trip to uh, Africa or India or any man, go to India, get a whole. Yeah. So I feel like instead of taking a $5,000 per credit class on Indian history, I think you'd get a lot more value out of a $2,000 trip to India. 
Yeah, backpack across <laughs> India for two months. You'd be, yep. Yep. So um, if we look at something like the Khan Academy on YouTube, yeah. like, you can be, you can learn like almost any skill like or any um, area of study like really quickly. Um, there's a book I love. It's called uh, Ultra Learning. And it was about this dude who taught himself the MIT computer science curriculum in a year. Crazy. And... He, so the their curriculum is totally online. All the tests are totally online. So he decided, hey, I'm going to give myself a pass in the class if I can get a 50% or more on any of the tests. And he kind of created his schedule and he did it all in a year. And he blogged his journey and talked about it. And there was some purists who were like, we'd never hire you if you don't have the degree. And then people from like Google and Microsoft would be like, if you can code, you can code. Like, we don't care what your official background is. And so I feel like, you can get the knowledge without the formal education. So if I want, if someone was interested in the things that I do and they wanted to kind of follow in my footsteps, my first recommendation would be to just get a foundational understanding of the human body. So maybe do take a few basic undergrad anatomy courses. I would say from there, take strength and conditioning certifications like take the cscs take the crossfit level one take usa weightlifting take usa track and field like take some like high performance like motor learning coaching courses um then i would say start to take some professional uh, some um like professional certifications, like uh, the functional range systems is um, a system that I'm a huge fan of. So they're functional. Range oh, that's the FRS. I meant. Yeah. I had that in my notes to ask you what that stood for. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So functional take range some of their course. Yep. So take some of their courses. Um, there's a group out of the uh, Prague school that does some awesome stuff with breathing and bracing and core stability. I take some of their courses There's a group called the postural restoration Institute that has some awesome stuff on some human asymmetries. So I would just say take courses and but don't, I need that, don't I need that thing hanging in my office so that I can charge people to come in and fix them. And don't I have to get that from a school? Yes and no, depending on what you're doing. And so okay. the majority of what I do isn't hands-on. It's is teaching, not. It's teaching people how to move. I do okay. plenty of hands-on because, again, I'm a chiropractor. I've got the, the degree on my wall. I spend a lot of money for it. Uh, so I do hands-on things. But I think 95% of my efficacy isn't in the hands-on things that I do. It's in the way I'm able to teach people how to move, which doesn't require a, a medical Florida Department of Health license. It's so interesting you say that because um, some someone could insult me, mm -hmm. and then I could be injured, mm -hmm. and they could say sorry, and it heals me, but they've set me up to be injured again. But if someone insults me and someone else says, hey, that's your problem. You need to get over it. You need to accept that that's part of life, and I learn to accept that if someone teaches me that then I can't be, I'm less likely to get injured again when someone insults me. And that's kind of what you're saying. Like from, from the, that's like a, the, a, a huge, huge part where I think society has its problems today because people are pointing fingers outwards, but you're, you're giving people the tools to 
hey, th- this you need to address this. This is something you're going to address yourself. These are the movements you're going to do. These are the areas where you're going to breathe into. These are some areas like, and I can give you a tweak or a twist here to get you started to maybe bring some awareness to it. I can tell you, hey, I understand it didn't feel good when that guy called you a name. I understand that. Mm-hmm. Those things hurt. But at some point, you're going to have to accept that you have a big nose and that there's a million people <laughs> out there in the world and they're going to address it. And then you have to you have to change your perception of what that means to you. And it, it's 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 fascinating. Yeah. So it doesn't I it's have, not very popular, though. Doesn't make you very popular, not, Mr. It, Mr. Bernard. It may like it does. I pay you money it, to tell you it, to work on myself. But it allows me to sleep at <laughs> night because. Like if you go to a CrossFit box and you've never been to CrossFit before, I'm hoping I can pay someone to teach me proper technique to do a clean. Yeah. They're not going to do the cleans for me. They right. can't do the cleans for me. No matter how good they are at cleans, that will never translate into my body getting stronger and becoming better at cleans. So there's plenty of places in life where we understand that we pay a professional to teach us how to do us better. Yeah. I, I, I trip on that thing too, what you said right there, that I can't give you – I can't say – you can't call me and be like, hey, Savon, what's up? I'm like, hey, Moses, and you're like, I don't feel good today. I'm like, oh, don't worry, Moses. Just chill in bed. I'm going to do 200 burpees today, and I'm going to transfer 100 over to you. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot. I cannot. I'm totally stealing that. I cannot. It, it's. It, I cannot. I want to. Mm-hmm. It has. Yeah, I, I, I would totally do it. I, I would totally it, yeah. do that for my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. I bang a hundred every day. Extra ones out. I mm-hmm. cannot. Yep. And uh, it, 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 it's. 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 Um. But I can do the hundred burpees, and I can post it on my show and show that it's eleven o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And I can show the world that I came home from a light day's work. And I still took personal accountability and responsibility. Mm-hmm. And instead of posting a bottle of whiskey, I can post that I did 100 burpees. And hopefully someone will mirror that like we talked about earlier mm-hmm. and be like, oh, I'll, I'll copy that. I believe everything's contagious. I think we're just yeah. mirrors here. I think contagious is a very interesting word. Yeah. When I take a very heavy weight and I bend and twist in a way that you're not supposed to, this isn't to show off. This is to let pe- get people the idea to think a little bit differently. The people who've been paralyzed to move their spine their entire life, they come mm-hmm. across my page and they see something like that. And they're like, wait a minute, that should be impossible. Maybe what people told me about my back and being fragile, how I should never lift heavy weights ever for the rest of my life. Maybe that's not true. Mm. And maybe that spark gets lit. And maybe they start going down a rabbit hole to maybe they join a CrossFit box. Maybe they start taking some yoga classes. Maybe they start looking at some YouTube videos on Tensegrity. Uh, but something kind of shakes them out of the, the um, what's what we're looking for? Just kind of the the narrow path that they were going down. They realized there's potentially a path less traveled that they can take. Um, when I watched you do the Jefferson curl yesterday, I, st- I, I was in my garage. I was watching on the TV in there and I um, stopped and everything I was doing. And I took a and I, I was warm already because I've been riding the assault bike and I took a bunch of deep breaths and I did really slow. I pretended like I was carrying the bar, but I had no weight in my hands mm-hmm. and I mimicked your uh, movement. I should have grabbed PVC. I have 10 PVC pipes and mm-hmm. I did 10 of those weightless Jefferson curls and you totally inspired. Yeah. You totally, yeah, you totally inspired me. You totally inspired me. I was from the, uh, the school of 
neutral spine, never bend, never twist. Um, posture is really important. Like this was my training. This was my background. And then I was exposed to some ideas that, hey, that doesn't make sense. It does make sense that, hey, you're going to be the strongest in the middle of that bell curve, but doesn't make sense to ignore the rest of it. So I started playing around with it. And at the time of my very first Jefferson curl with a PVC pipe, deadlift was, I had already hit a 600 pound deadlift and I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified just to bend my spine and touch my toes with a PVC pipe. Yeah, that's amazing. And then I did it a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And then I started to add a tiny bit of weight. It's like I put I remember I put like a five pound weight in a PVC pipe. So it was like right in the middle. And then I did Jefferson curl from there. And again, it was scary because it's like I'm feeling the stressors on my back that I'm not supposed to feel. But I also know that the body adapts. I know that connective tissues adapt to stress and strain given the appropriate strain and given the appropriate recovery. Like this is a foundational principle of human cells. Yeah. So I added a little bit more, a little bit more, year after year, a little bit more, a little bit more. And I eventually got to the place where I felt confident to really challenge it to like, I've never done a true max test on a Jefferson curl, but I've gotten pretty close. I've gone to some pretty dark places. on my Jefferson. The one curl. where you're doing the Zerker carry is crazy. Is, is pretty crazy. Yeah. That one. Um, so recently I uh, took a strength and conditioning um, certification. It was uh, through a uh, functional rate systems, their internal strength model. How do you and- do that? Let me, let me stop here real quick. I view you guys, the chiropractors as a whole is closed minded. Know-it-alls. I know that sounds bad. It's fun. Take, take, but I, take, I, I get that. Like but I, don't I, mean inher- I inherited that in my profession and I'm totally cool with that. Like <laughs> I'm not it- offended because I am not chiropractors. I'm one dude who's trying to do some fun things in the weight room and try to get people to, feel safe in their bodies. Yeah. So that's what kind of proves to me that I'm wrong in, in this, in this prejudice because, and I don't even mean it in a bad way. There there's the foodies are like that too. They're closed minded. No, there's just, just in my mind. Yeah. But, well, I mean like, like every, now like, you're there's, telling me you went to CrossFitters, a, there's vegans, yes, like there's yes. some people who are assholes. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but, but, but I, but, but you go to these courses, is that hard for you to turn off your brain and, and listen to other people when you know so much? You went to a strength and conditioning seminar? Absolutely not. Because everything I know is because at the reason I'm where I'm at professionally is because I was, I was never secure in any of my ideas. I'm always willing for some idea to be replaced by something better. Mm, mm. And I don't know what that better thing is going to be until it's in front of me. Mm. So there's been certifications that I've gone to where it is, 90% 90% of it is like, yeah, I don't support any of this. But there might be 10% of it is like, I could use that. There's some that, so like the first um, prog school or rehab course that I ever took, the first functional range conditioning course that I ever took, they just broke my entire foundation. They were, I've done everything wrong. I need to totally reevaluate how I've been doing every single thing professionally. Um, wow. No, that's intense. The thing is, fortunately for me, I don't have an ego attached to how I've been doing things. So I'm happy to like burn the house down and rebuild a better one. Um, and I think that can be hard for people. Yeah, especially when you have clients who, who 
Like people want to rely on you, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm guilty of this. Those three chiropractors I went to, I, I, I just went there like a damsel in distress, right? Like, oh, mm-hmm. woe is me. And I throw myself on their table and I'm like, mm-hmm. fuck, help me. I'm hurt. Mm-hmm. Do what you want. <laughs> so it's like that. I mean, it, you yeah, know, well, yeah. I and, think people go to lawyers like that too, or mm-hmm. people go to police like that, or like they, they just like, 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 let's say you and your wife are going to get a divorce. People just want to go to a lawyer and just like throw themselves, like, and just be like, can you fix, fix the one? problem? For yeah. Me. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that is something that we see in a lot of fields is just a lack of personal accountability for a lot of things. Like, we don't want to take accountability for our personal interpersonal relationships in the divorce case. We don't take, want to take accountability for our body control and awareness in the just throw ourselves on the chiropractic table case. Like there's, we like to like, if we look at nutrition and there's a lot of people who they don't want to learn how to cook for themselves. So they do like the meal delivery services, even though they have plenty enough time to be able to do their own things. Like, yeah, we like to outsource I just started eating raw meat so that I don't have to cook. There you go. <laughs> have you fucked around with any raw meat? I haven't really yet. Um, it's it's it's, it's, it's not, all the craze. It's all I, the craze. I understand it is. I am not totally dismissive of it. So again, I go back to what has our species been doing forever? Mm-hmm. Um, now, fire has been around for a real long time. True. But there are still, but not forever. Right. And there are still tribes where they're eating pretty close to raw stuff and we're doing mm. okay. We do it with fish. This, um, I had Zoe Harcomb on uh, yesterday and actually I, I had remembered years ago or some, at some point Dave Castro had said this exact same thing to me. They're like, you cannot blame an ancient food for modern illness. And I was like, yeah, there's so much hatred towards meat out there. But like, I, I mean, it, it's re- I, it's good. Well, I, I shit. You're saying the same thing to me. You're, I mean, yeah. you're saying, hey, you got to look at what people have done in the past. Yeah. It's funny how smart people kind of think alike. They have these paradigms of like, OK, let's start here. Let's dig in. What has man been doing for a million years that was working? Yeah. So and then that, and that's just kind of a foundational thing filter that I look through when I um, when I make decisions and recommendations. Um, Nicholas Nassim Taleb, he's the dude who did, uh, he wrote Antifragile, Black Swan, a bunch of other interesting books on decision-making. Uh, his nutritional philosophy, which I absolutely love, is if you've been around a thousand years, you get a pass. That's his rule. Oh, like even if someone says something bad, like if someone's talking shit about milk, but you see people have been drinking it for 12,000 years, you're good to go. Yep, that's yeah, that's his rule. It's like a thousand years is an okay enough track record. Yeah. So he doesn't do – so that eliminates a lot of processed foods. Doesn't eliminate alcohol, but eliminates super sugary cocktails. Um, yeah. And it, I I can't disagree with that overall that idea yeah i i read this book um uh called ravenous uh, it's about a um uh otto warburg he is a um a, a scientist in the 30s who was living in uh nazi germany okay and, and he's a homosexual jew fucking tough combo right hitler <laughs> didn't like those people 
Jews yeah. or homosexuals. Yeah. Anyway, um, his whole thing was cancer. Well, not not his whole thing was cancer research. He's the Godfather. He won two Nobel prizes. Hitler would only let him get one of them. But mm. one of the things he he was the Godfather of photosynthesis, which is just fascinating to me. Plants are just fascinating. And then the other thing is, is he discovered that cancer cells consume ten times the amount of sugar as regular cells. And to this day, like seventy eight percent of all cancers are when uh, the process in finding them is to scan the body. And when you see the body, uh, however they do that, when you see the area where uh, cells are consuming 10 times the glucose as other places, the doc, you look there and lo and behold, there's cancer. And, and, and I bring that up in with what you're saying there, there wasn't sugar. There, there wasn't people eating tons of sugar, even 300 years ago, let alone a thousand years ago. And, uh, well, I mean, the amounts that we have now, it's like not even 75 years ago. Right, right. It's nuts. There was there was this before this is long ago. I think the movie was called Unforgiven or something, and it was a Clint Eastwood movie. Um, and basically, right before the guys went into battle, they stopped at a store and they bought some candy, <laughs> a piece of chocolate. And I'll never forget that in the movie. And right before they they're sitting there and they're about to attack the guys, and they go okay, and they each take a bite of chocolate like it was like they were having sex with their wives and it was like the last time before they go off to war. And that was chocolate back then. That was like, and now, and now like every Tom, Dick and Harry can go have a Snickers bar and just close their eyes. And yeah, it's, 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 we have a lot of great shit. We just got a lot of responsibility. And that is, that is the thing is as we get more or as, as we have access to more amazing stuff, it becomes harder and harder and harder to filter that stuff out. Um, if we think about like the Snickers bar, the best biochemists from the best schools are hired by all of these companies to make that Snickers bar fucking delicious. Like to make the perfect ratio of salt and the perfect ratio of fat and the perfect ratio of sugar to make it so that like it's amazing when it hits your mouth, but not so amazing that you like cherish the satisfaction for a long period of time. Not so gross that you spit it out. It's like it's right. designed to make you consume as much of it as possible. And they've done so many studies to figure out what exactly kind of that bliss point is for all of these things. So this is what we're competing with. So every time you grab the Snickers or you grab the M&Ms or you grab the donut, your taste buds are fighting against the best nutritional scientists trying to hack that system. And they are better at it than we are. Yeah. <laughs> and so in some ways, the only way to win that game is to not play it. I, it it's funny. Um, as you're saying this, I'm just as a 49 year old man, I don't even see 90 percent of the stuff in the store anymore. I remember as a kid, like I would walk by the gum rack and I'd be like, holy shit, I can't wait till someday I have a job. I'm going to get a paper out and I'm going to buy all the bubble gum I want. Now I don't even see that stuff. Now, like I walk by like macadamia nuts and I have to be like, don't buy that. Don't buy that. Don't buy it. But I don't even see the gummy bears or the like, like. And you the know, $20 it's, it's, pound macadamia yeah. nuts, right? Like, like <laughs> you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, I know I'm not going to eat. I know I'm not going to eat like five. I'm going to go sit in my car, crack the bag open and just start eating them. Um, but, but it's just amazing how you can overcome all that. As I talk okay. to him, I've overcome all that. I would never buy a Snicker bar. I would never buy a soda pop. I have no desire. I just, I walk by all that shit. I don't even mm -hmm. see the, I don't even know what the grocery store is full of. Yeah. It's nuts. I still have a soft spot sometime for some shitty beef jerky. 
There's the nutrition. Like thing those long like, sticks. Say that again. Yeah. The nutrition thing is like, I like sugar. Um, yeah. I acknowledge that it is not awesome for my physiology. Um, I know that I'm the person where it's like, if I buy the bag of candy, I just will eat the entire thing nonstop. So I just need to force put myself in environments where that's much less likely to happen. So if I do like some good stuff with meal prep and my food's ready to go and I'm feeling satisfied, nourished, I'm not going to have those urges for the simple sugar. <laughs> um, do you have I, a do you have a do you have a sugar environment too? Do you have a go to sugar item? I wouldn't say there's one, but just like the simple sugar, like pure glucose candies the like gummy bears and like stuff like that the stuff that the issue with my physiology is i perform really really well on that stuff oh interesting super high processed carbs i perform at a physical level very well um i blend industry (laughs) but it's for my anaerobic performance Place in my format is more important than my anaerobic performance. So I make different nutritional decisions. Yeah. Um, you're, you're breaking up kind of bad. Uh oh. Did I lose you? Oh, um, let's things look up my end. One second here. Let me see. Close in a few windows will help. We're doing okay. Yeah, now we're better. I used to stay in hotels a lot. Like I used to okay, travel cool. for work a lot and I used to mm-hmm. drink alcohol and that was when all the bad shit would happen. So you come back to your hotel room, you've been drinking at dinner and you just clear out the gummy bears and all that shit. But what is interesting is, is like, I really hardly drink anymore if at all. And, uh, it's so much easier not to make bad decisions. It, um, something for me was I started wearing the whoop strap. When was it in like 2017? Mm-hmm. And, I'd already I had known at a intellectual level the impact that alcohol had on my physiology, but I mm. didn't really embrace it until I like saw the data. Until I saw that it's like, okay, I have two glasses of wine before bed and my resting heart rate's 15 beats per minute higher than it would have been if I didn't. Oh, interesting. Wow. Like it was off it was insane, like how big a swing it was. So it's like, I've seen the studies about how it's like, yeah, you, you really don't recover if you've had like a few glasses of like a few drinks, like after a workout, but to actually see it's like, oh, like, so normally what would happen with my heart rate is I go to bed and my heart rate's at a certain level. And over the course of the night, it gets lower and lower and lower. Okay. Yeah. If I had a few drinks before bed, I would have my heart rate and it would start to go up for like three or four hours and then it would start to come down. So it's like the first four hours of my sleep was just trying to like process out and like process out the alcohol that was in my system. It was actually like ramping up my metabolism. So it was really like I was only getting four hours of sleep, even though I was in, in bed. There's only four hours of true recovery, even though I was in bed for eight or nine hours. So yeah. seeing that data has been dramatic on my behavior. Um, Zoe uh, Harcombe, who we had on yesterday, was saying that when you drink alcohol, 
it, it can only be processed in one place in the body, in the liver. And when the liver has to deal in, in the liver views it as a toxin. And when the liver is dealing with that, all its other fucking duties go out the door. And there were, and I forget, I wish I could remember what duties they were, but there were some critical duties like in, in regards to weight loss and your metabolism and shit like that, that it's like, Oh shit, that's fucked yeah. up. That's fucked up. It's like taking your, it, it, it's like taking a fireman during a big fire who should be putting out the fire and having him go change a diaper on a baby. It's like, nah, nah, nah. Yeah. Other people can do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to get up. It's fucked up. Alcohol is fucked up. Yeah. And for me, it was all the knowledge, like all the foundational knowledge in the world wasn't enough, but to see it in my own body, it's like, that was enough to make the difference. And I think with like, we can say that, hey, we know exercise is good for you, but only once someone's been working out for a month or two and they're noticing that their body feels better, the way they can live in day-to-day life works better. It's like, oh, I get this exercise thing now. Yeah. Um, guys, uh, please uh, Google d- uh, Dr. Moses Bernard if you want to get uh, deeper into any of these topics. His Instagram is no joke. It is a wealth a wealth of knowledge. There are some fantastic warm-ups. I, I call them warm-ups. He calls them CARS, uh, which is the acronym for Controlled Articular Rotations. Yeah, it, it is some good stuff. And uh, – he has courses on his website and he has a beautiful website. All you have to do is Google uh, Moses Bernard, or if you want to get fancy, you can put the word doctor in front of it and you will see him. Uh, thanks man for coming on. What a tremendous uh, wealth of knowledge you are. And I, and I appreciate you giving us an uh, hour and 40 minutes of your time today. I uh, really appreciate you having me. Uh, any uh, people who are watching, if you are interested in any of my courses, use the promo code seven and I'll give you a couple extra bucks off if you want that. Uh, so it'll be half off my spine courses, half off my cars mobility courses. Um, I really appreciate you having me. I really appreciate you uh, giving, me, giving me the opportunity to just spit what's in my brain and hope that some people find it valuable. Yeah, awesome. This was fun.